Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. No matter where you are in the world, I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of Whose World Is This? with me, your host, Junior Renee Bobrun. If you are a first-time listener, I'd like to welcome you. And if you are a returning listener, I'd like to welcome you back to this ongoing dialogue. If you're a, if you're a new listener, I appreciate you tuning in. I truly, truly do. And after this episode, I'd love for you to go back to episode one and listen to season one, episode one, The Genesis, to get an idea of what this, 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 this ongoing dialogue that we're having is about. Um, and uh, listen to them. Share, rate, review, subscribe. Don't forget to do that if you're listening via iTunes or wherever. If you can rate it on whatever listening platform you're using, if you can rate, review, subscribe, please do so. It helps the algorithm. I notice that I'm getting few more listeners week by week, and I'm really appreciating that. I see the numbers going up the more often I do episodes. And if I'm consistent, I notice that the audience grows. I mean, I guess that's how the world works, right? Consistency brings progress and, you know, and brings tangible results, brings tangible outcomes if you're consistent. And I'm noticing with consistency, the audience grows. People listen, people will share, but I'd like to see the rating and reviewing go up. People rate it however you choose to rate it. You know, rate it. You choose to give it a one, fine. You listened. You choose to give it a three, four, or five, and you really enjoy the content, great. And um, definitely email me with any of your suggestions, questions, and concerns at whose world is this two one at gmail.com. That is whose world is this. 21 at gmail.com and our Instagram is whose world is this 2021 2021 whose world is this 2021 on Instagram um I'm enjoying this platform I've gotten many suggestions about definitely go to YouTube I know YouTube is the number one search engine I'm thinking about it I'm working on it I'm thinking about working on it not working on it I'm thinking about working on it I'm more concerned with right now developing the back end of this show such as it is uh, developing the back end advertising wise developing the back end marketing wise i want to make sure that everything i'm getting is organic i'm reaching my tribe i'm i'm i want my vibe and what i'm saying to attract the tribe that listens to this show i don't just want to advertise for advertising sake my favorite hip-hop artist of all time, and probably one of my favorite artists of all time, Nas. He's a rapper. His name is Nas. Not, not to be confused with a new rapper named Little Nas X. Not the same thing. This Nas debuted for most people in 1994. For me, he debuted in 1991. So not to be confused. We're talking about N-A-S. His full name is Nasir Bin Olu Dara Jones. Okay? Born in 1973 that Nas. Anyway, he said something that was so, you know, jolting, especially in this new era that we live in where people have become brands and corporations have become people. In any case, where everyone is looking to brand expand, brand operation expand your brand. He did an album. It was a double CD and I think it was Streets Disciple. And right around the time he did that album, he did a very obscure interview because I, I follow him on social media, we have mutual friends back in Queens where I live. And so I, you know, I know certain things he's doing when he's in the studio and things of that nature. I'm abreast of certain things that are going on 
within his outer circle. I won't say inner circle, but within at least his, his outer circle. And, you know, I'd follow a couple of interviews. And one of the interviews was sent to me by a friend of mine. And in the interview, he said it very nonchalantly. He said he did the Streets Disciple album, which was not one of his more popular albums. It was a double CD. He, some people said he did that album to get off of his label. It was just a throwaway album. He, he had an obligation for a particular um, a set amount of records to give to a, his record company. He had an obligation, and he was using that album. But I thoroughly enjoyed that double CD. I enjoyed it a great deal. He did an interview, and I think it was that album or the album after it. I think it was either Streets Disciple album or it was the Untitled album. Not entirely sure. But in this interview, he had a sentence. He said, I did this album to get rid of the fly-by-night fans that I had acquired through the years. I heard that line, and I remember I was in the middle of doing something. I wasn't just watching the, the video of him speaking. I was maybe texting or I was writing something down, and I stopped cold, dead in my tracks. And I said, wait, did he just say what I thought he said? I rewinded it. Rewound it, and he said, and he said it, and I. So I have to say it again because I had to listen to it two, three times to see did I hear him correctly? Is is there a double meaning? Because a lot of his music is very layered, and he speaks in these layered, layered. He uses a lot of metaphors and a lot of entendres and double entendres. So, you know, he's very ambiguous when he speaks in interviews. So you, I'm like, wait, I may, I may be misinterpreting what he said, but he said. He did this album specifically to get rid of certain people that were just along for the ride, that just were along for the hits. That's what he was saying. I respected that artist so much up until that point. He had, or he had already been on my Mount Rushmore of hip-hop artists. He already, to me, was number one. That alone was enough to cement him. <laughs> like At that point, there was nobody else that could touch him because I understood that sentiment. I understood the sentiment of being an artist that's saying I'm going to live in my true authenticity and I'm only going to do this music for those who who, who get it. I don't want to do the single, the crossover single and do this, that, and a third for the people that, that, you know, just to garner an audience. But that audience is just looking for me to sound like that single and that single may not be me. I did that just to get you to come along for the ride this one time. I don't want that. It's the reason why I said it before earlier on in my episodes. And I'm speaking right now to the new um, um, listeners because I've gotten some emails from some new listeners. And I want to say this to them specifically. I am not, for the most part, going to be plucking ideas or plucking um, topics from current events because it's hot right now and because that's what's going on this week in the news this week in current events this week in pop culture and then all of a sudden using those hashtags to try to get you to come in and listen to this energy that's not what this is if you're looking for me to speak about what's going on at the going on at the moment <clears throat> you've probably you're probably in the wrong place you probably want to stop this episode now <laughs> <clears throat> and move on. If you're looking for information to be illuminated about how we got to this place that we are now, to where, why the current events are the way they are, 
why the world looks the way it looks, then this is probably the right place for you. If you care about that sort of stuff, the origin story, so to speak, as opposed to plucking out who did what to whom and who said what about what or who's getting jabbed or who isn't. How did we get to the point where these things are actually important to us? Or why this is the dialogue that we, that's being bandied about? Or why is it that this is what our major news outlets decide to focus on? Is it really news? Is it really new? Is it really important? Is it newsworthy? If you want those questions asked and maybe answered, because oftentimes I pose questions and I'm not going to answer them for you. I'm at, this is a conversation. I've, I've said it before to many of my returning listeners that, that this is a conversation. And in a conversation, although it's only me you're hearing, some of the things that I'm saying is resonating with the people that are on the other side or the under end, other end of this microphone that I'm on. And they're saying, man, th th that really hit me. Specifically. It's hitting you specifically due to your experiences, due to who you are, due to your nature and how you've been nurtured. For some reason, I'm going to say something within the next 20, 30, 40 minutes that's going to resonate with one of you so deeply that it's going to compel you to email me or it's going to compel you to call me if you have your number of have my number or it's going to compel you to share it with a friend and it's going to be a topic of discussion. And for others, you're going to glean and gloss right over it because it doesn't resonate. And that's fine, too. But this show is about finding my vibe tribe. It's not about finding this mass audience. What I'm saying is it mass audience worthy because I'm not speaking about popular subjects and I'm not looking to make this side angry at that side and create the same old isms and schisms and narrowing these arguments. So one side believes this and one side and, and oversimplifying all the nuances of the things that we believe and trying to compress it into these little tiny little sentences he's believes this or she believes that or th nonsense we don't do that here so because this conversation and our conversations are going to be as nuanced as i feel many people are there are going to be some people that are like you know what i can't put june's i can't put whose world is this in a particular quote-unquote category so i'm moving on for those who need to put it in a box and to find out if I'm a right winger, a left winger, or this one, or that one, or this or that. And if they can't find a schism for me or an ism for me, then they're going to go, eh, I don't want it. That's fine. Go about your business. This is not for you. And I'm okay with that. I'm, 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 I'm more than okay with that. But if you are about this, then you need to share this. If you are about this, then the, then the, um, the, the products that I advertise, go support them because they're going to support this show. You know what I mean? Um, support the things that we're doing here specifically at this show. Support the products that we speak about because we're supporting them because this is about an authentic experience. A lot of people say that, but I have 30 episodes for you to go back and listen to to figure out what I'm about. So it's not episode one. This is episode 30. This is episode, I think, what is it? Six of this particular season. But this is not episode six. This is just episode six of season three. This is episode 31 altogether. So you can go back and see what I'm about and kind of see where the pattern emerges. Okay. But if you're going to just try to put this in, in some sort of box, okay. Well, you know, 
but you're not going to be able to. And because you're not going to be able to, some people are not going to like it. But for the, those of you that are here, understand that we're going to build this platform first. So some people have asked me, when are you going to do a YouTube? I don't know. What's up with your Patreon? Eh, still in the works. Still thinking about it. Still wondering if I want this to be an audio-visual platform or do I just want this to be an audio platform, an audio conversation? And I will use some other entities that I may be creating down the line and say, you know what, that's going to be more audio. I'm creating a company that's going to own this show. So no other companies can say, hey, June, we love Whose World Is This with Junior Renee Brun. We'd love to come in and own the show and have a piece. Yeah, you're not talking to me anymore. You'll be talking to the entity that owns the show. <clears throat> I may own the entity that owns the entity that is this show, but that's another conversation. You won't be talking to June, the host. You'll be speaking to June, the CEO of the, of the, of the, the entity that owns this entity. It's a totally different kind of conversation. And that entity, that'll be the mother company or the parent company of this, may have some video elements to it. And I may say I'm going to use certain apparatus, certain um, you know, audio, um, certain video elements. I may do some short documentaries as I see the world open up a little bit more. And if travel restrictions become less stringent for me to go overseas and things of that nature, then I I'll do some things. And if the travel restrictions remain the way they are right now or even become stricter, I may consider just doing some things domestically within the contiguous United States because I'm just not comfortable with all the uh, the strictures and structures and, and restrictions, so to speak. I'm not comfortable with it at all, actually. So I, I, I won't subject myself to it if I don't have to. As much of a world, as much of a traveler and an avid traveler th as I am, and it hurts me to not jump on a plane, I would rather not under these quote-unquote conditions. And what I mean by conditions, I just mean the restrictions. In any case, that's the longest-winded intro in the history of intros. Um, I have a friend of mine. She says, Junior, never at a loss for words. I told her, you have, yes, I am. She said, I don't believe you. I thought it was hilarious. In any case, um, <laughs> a little housekeeping. Remember, first and foremost, we got to talk. We got to shout out the one sponsor that we do have. <laughs> it's OneLavi.com, and the sponsorship requests are, will be growing as I send them out. That's what I'm going to be doing this week, too, this, this week. I'm going to be sending out some sponsorship requests. Letting, now that I have about 30-plus episodes, it gives marketing directors and people like that an idea of what it is that I'm doing. I'll be like, hey, take a handful of episodes when you have a moment and listen to them and get back to me in a week or two. Let me know what you think, you know, in your spare time, take 20 minutes, listen to an episode, take another 20, listen to another one. Just see if it's up your alley, if it's your vibe, you know, and then from there, figure it out. If not, hey, you know, it's all good. But in any case, onelavi.com, that is O-N-E-L-A-V-I.com. That is the home of my vitamins and supplements. That's where I go for my vitamins, supplements, and functional foods like i've said before in this era in this era of of appropriate attention being paid to our immunity and the fact that so much of our food that we are buying is bereft and nutrient depleted it's so paramount and of, of utter importance that we supplement our diets with nutrients 
with uh, vitamins and, and, and minerals and functional foods and certain powders. But we also have to make sure that these vitamins and minerals and functional powders are sourced correctly and have the kind of ingredients that aren't harmful to us and the kind of preservatives that aren't harmful to us. That's why I go to onelavi.com for my supplemental needs and my vitamin needs. Where they source it <clears throat> is beneficial to me and is not harmful to me. The vitamins, the functional foods, the honeys, the powders, the brain food, the, cogn the cognitive uh, uh, supplementation is all natural, very natural, very strictly sourced, and, it's a, and, and I trust it. And I've been using it for a long time. That's why I reached out to them and told them what I was doing. And they said, hey, we like what you're doing. It's all good. So that's why I plugged them. And that's why, if you noticed, I haven't plugged anybody else yet, except ChavezHouse.com, Chavez House Publishing, the home of Lenore Batista's journals, where you can get her essential self-publishing success blueprint, which was number one on Amazon. It's a book that I'm using now to teach me how to take my ideas from a bunch of crazy ramblings of a madman in his office to someone who can actually write chapters and write a book and write 150 to 250 pages and actually get it published. So I'm using Lenore Batista's Essential Self-Publishing Success Blueprint. So if you have anything you want to write, a cookbook, short stories, stories that were handed down from your grandparents, your ancestral tales, anything, uh, just your biopic, anything you want to write and you want to really get it published, I would highly suggest that you use the uh, Lenore Batista's essential self-publishing success blueprint and you can go there also for her group of lenore batista uh, uh journals her collection journals for women to document their weekly their daily ideas their morning ideas their evening ideas their night ideas their vacation ideas their planners she has a great beautiful group of planners and now back to school notebooks will also be available different countries, their flags, their, 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 their monuments, things of that nature from all over the world, including the United States, of course, will be displayed on Lenore Batista's, uh, I mean, uh, ChavezHouse.com. So go to One La Vie for your vitamins. Go to ChavezHouse.com for your, your book needs and your uh, essential guide and your notebooks and your journals. See, that's what we're doing here. A lot of the, a lot of the products that we will be acknowledging and sharing with you are going to be products that are going to be in line with getting your ideas and your particular thoughts out there, helping you become better in one way, shape or form. Um, so what are we going to talk about today? What are we going to talk about today? You know, if you guys are returning listeners, you know, we, we take a title and with that title, you know, I get the title from someplace but then I get all the ideas for that title all in my head and we kind of go with a stream of consciousness from that title. This title of this episode, season three, episode six, the title of this show is Are We Prisoners? I know, I know. Last week it was Will We Survive? I know. I, I, I'm sorry to be Donnie Downer. I know people out there are going, June, don't we have en enough... Um, dark clouds in our lives right now you know why are we talking about will we survive i know last week's episode or earlier this week's episode was a little rough um i liked it um i enjoyed doing it it's something that i i you know 
it's a very condensed, extremely condensed version of larger conversations I've had over, I don't know, a decade or so, maybe even more than that. Where are we, 2021? Yeah, I've had that conversation in a deeper and, and more in depth than that. But that was sort of an intro. And that's why I like to do this show, because I like to ask those questions. I'm not here to give answers. I'm not here to be a professor or, or whatever. I'm, I'm regardless of education. This is about asking the audience what you feel. The, pe my, 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 the people I'm having this conversation with, what do you feel? So oftentimes I'm throwing things out there as if I'm in a conversation with my friends, with my, tr with my people. So I'm just asking them, but what do you think? That's why I ask. So that's why last episode was, will we survive? Depending, based on everything that's going on, will we survive? So now I'm asking, are we prisoners? Are we prisoners? I remember I was watching this show. This show, I love this show, by the way. I recommend it because a lot of it's nihilism and it's nihilism and it's, it's Nietzsche-esque philosophy. I, I subscribe to, to a certain degree. Some of its cynicism was a little, I'm not going to say over the top. It wasn't over the top. If you, if you know the character and what the character went through, it was appropriate. The show I'm talking about that I really enjoy is True Detective. Season one with Matthew McConaughey and uh, Woody Harrelson. They both play detectives. And Matthew McConaughey plays a detective. His name is Rusty Cole. And the other detective is Woody Harrelson. His name is Marty. Don't remember his last name. The, the performance of these two gentlemen was um, one for the record books. I enjoyed that show thoroughly. I've watched it the season a couple of times. I enjoyed Matthew McConaughey. I enjoy Matthew McConaughey as an actor. I always thought he was a good actor. No, I'm sorry. I've always thought he was a very good actor. After the season of True Detective, he, I, it put him in, it, for me personally, in an upper echelon of actors. The place he went to, to take on that character, I didn't know he had that gear. I didn't know he had that in him. So for me, it was the surprise of seeing him do the role and then me fully being fully immersed in what he was saying in that role because a lot of what he said I agreed with, but I also had to make sure that I put my dogmas and my beliefs and my schisms and isms to the side and just watch it. And um, one of the scenes in the movie, in the show is uh, Rusty Cole, Matthew McConaughey's character is in the passenger seat and um, he's commenting on the, the town that they're in somewhere in the South and he's saying, man, it's like this, this looks like someone's memory of a town. He's like, this doesn't even feel like a town. This looks like someone's bad memory of a town. And Woody Harrelson, who's driving the car at the time through this place, goes, ah, oh, you know, it's a ghetto, you know. You know, there are all types of ghettos. And Rustin Cole, Matthew McConaughey's character, says, there's only one ghetto, man. And it's just one ghetto, one big ball floating through outer space. And I just put my head down like, wow. <laughs> I mean, does it get any more cynical and hopeless than that? The whole world is, he said, it's, just, it's all one big ghetto, man, just floating throughout her space. I'm just going, whew, okay. So what I'm asking is, are we prisoners? I'm not speaking about the people that are about the two million people in the United States that are behind the wall. And I guess, I don't know how many people Maybe it's 10 million people around the world that are behind the wall. I mean, um, I think I had that stat written down somewhere in, you know, and um, 
It's not about that. It's not about that. It's about are we in prison? The human species, not the 10 million people that are in prison around the world or the 2 million people that are in prison in the United States, which, by the way, America, we are the most jailingest um, um, country on earth per capita, not even per capita, just raw numbers. We jail more people than any other country on earth. And that's including China, who has um, more than triple our population, right? At this point, there are one point what billion people. We're only about 300 million. So think about that for a moment. And this is China. China doesn't play any games. I'm not being hyperbolic when I say that. But you can go to jail for China for a lot less than you can go to the jail in the United States for. And still, we find a way to jail more people than China. While we're speaking politically, we have a certain contentious relationship with China. But yet, <laughs> you know, with all of their the myriad of human rights, alleged human rights violations, guess what? we still find a way to chill more people. But I digress. Moving on. Are we in this country, us as citizens, are we prisoners? And when I say prisoners, are we prisoners to our belief systems? Are we prisoners to the things that we were taught? Are we prisoners to the traumas that we've had and we let them define us. Are we prisoners to this? Do we allow these things to just dictate everything that we do? Have they become our wardens? Have they become the rooms that we live in? How big is the room that you call your life? How big is the room that you call your, 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 your ideas? How big is the room of your ideas? How big is the room of your life? How many, how many ideas, how many different kinds of people, how many different trains of thought, how many different schemas do you allow in? Or is it like strict, like a warden giving you or, or, or the prison giving you visiting time or phone time? How strict have you made your life? How, 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 how incarcerated are you in your thought process? Have you incarcerated yourself in your isms and schisms? Reason why I say this is because over the last, I would say since 2004, I've noticed that um, the way I saw the world was vastly different than many, many people or most people I came across. I won't say most people. I would say most people I came across saw the, saw the world. I don't know what it was. Was it the fact that I grew up in Queens, New York, and I grew up in the most diverse city in the most diverse city on earth? No, it's not that. Because the very same people that lived in my neighborhood or lived in my borough, I noticed I, they didn't get it. They didn't get what I was saying either, and I didn't understand why they were where they were. Um, and it seemed like we were... The, the way I would see the world, I was always questioning what I believed. I wasn't always questioning what others believed. Listen to what I just said. Before I questioned your belief system, I questioned my belief systems. I questioned why I believed what I believed. I questioned why do I lean towards this and I don't lean towards that? What is it about me what is it about my nature? What is it about how I was nurtured that makes me believe this over that? Why does this make me feel happy when I, why, why do I lean there? And the people that lean there where I'm leaning, 
what are they about? Let me see, is there a pattern emerging? Can I sort of say, okay, they, did they grow up like this? Did they grow up like that? Is this in their lineage? Is this not? That was me. So before I questioned you, I questioned me. So before I just went and said, oh yeah, I believe that. That makes sense. That makes me feel better. That boosts up my self-esteem and that, you know, I have the confirmation bias and I already believe that. I kind of believe that. And here I found a group of people or, or an ideology or a group of experts that believe the same thing. I'm going with that. Despite the holes in the, the hypothesis, despite the holes in the, in, 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 in the theory or the thesis, I'm still going to go with it because it, it just, for whatever reason, it fits what I'm trying to be about. So there it is. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. If I had nagging questions about something that I believed, I had to get those questions answered or it, it did not remain a belief system of mine. If someone came with a point that kicked the little hole in my belief system, I couldn't continue to believe it. So I am not a, you, I, I try my hardest to not respond with, yeah, but... If someone comes with a point that flies in the face of my belief system and it makes sense and I haven't resolved it, I don't have a clear rebuke or rebuttal to it. I can't go, yeah, but we just, no, 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 no. It has to be addressed right there. At that moment, the conversation has to take another turn. I have to go, hmm, that's, inter that's an interesting point you bring up. That's something that I'm going to have to discover a little more because you know what? I haven't really looked into it that way. This is how I looked at it. I looked at it such and such and such and such. But now that you're saying that, that's something that's worthy of discussion. But if I have a rebuke to it and I already have a counter and I'm saying, no, well, you're looking at it the wrong way. This is what it is or, or this is what I meant or whatever. But the yeah, but I try not to employ the yeah, but. And when I do, I know what I'm doing. It means I'm not trying to be accurate. I'm just trying to be right. There's a huge difference between winning an argument and being accurate. There are a lot of people who can win an argument because they have whiz bang skills in oratory. They have they have they have a, 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 a they're they're highly skilled oratorily. They can speak, they can articulate, they they're argumentative, they can they have great debating skills, they have great rhetorical skills, so they can win an argument. They can win a debate. Doesn't mean that you're right. You want a debate. Doesn't mean that you're accurate. So there's a huge difference between winning a debate, being thinking that you're right or winning an argument and actually being accurate. I wanted to be accurate. I wanted the truth. I still want the truth. That's why I'm asking, because what I'm seeing and what I saw started to see and it became very clear from a political perspective right around 2000, right around September 11th. Right around all of these times, I started seeing, you know, I was listening to people parrot what media say, parrot what a teacher said, parrot this. And I was saying, well, that's not exactly accurate. And people were so invested with what they were parroting, it didn't matter anymore that they possibly could be wrong. They would say things like, June, you bring up an interesting point. And they would say things like, June, you're entitled to your opinion. And I would be insulted by that. I'd be insulted by the fact that I gave you dates and times. I gave you chapter and verse of how things happened that were, that, that were counter to how you thought things occurred. And then you would respond by saying, 
someone would respond who didn't have their facts in a row that were just parroting the, 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 the dictum of the day parroting the, the 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 narrative of the day or the talking points and the hot takes of their favorite radio show host or their favorite talking head on in on major television media outlets or their favorite forum and just saying that I I would give you one or two sentences that completely obliterated what you thought you thought <laughs> what you think you knew. And then you would say, yeah, well, June, you make an interesting point. And they would give me the conciliatory nod and, and, the, and the facetious grin and tell me that I'm entitled to my opinion or we can agree to disagree. No, you've agreed to be wrong <laughs> because you haven't proven me wrong and I've proven you wrong. And now you have to stand corrected and be okay with that and be happy that now you can let one thing go your lower truth from for a higher truth so you can get rid of the liar's truth or the biased truth to get a higher truth a higher truth and get you closer to the highest truth and then when i was when i stood corrected it didn't matter if there were a bunch of people around people go yo june he got you i'm like yeah he did or yo she got you i'm like yeah she did they just introduced something into my ecosphere into my 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 spiritual and my intellectual realm that i have to resolve i don't have to be my point doesn't have to be right i just want to be accurate if your information is more accurate than my information then that's the information i'm going with and it's not yours and it's not mine it belongs to all of us because the more accurate we all are the more accurate our information the better the decisions that we can make regarding our lives and the lives of the people around us. So it's about being accurate. The nation, people that were, that were um, used to hang out, um, used to subscribe to a sect of the nation of Islam called the Five Percenters back in New York City. Clarence 13X, who used to be a member of the nation of Islam, started an offshoot of the nation of Islam, and the nation of Islam was an offshoot of traditional Islam. The nation of Islam, they used to say, you have to be right and exact. And that's something that we grew up with in Queens. I'm trying to be right and exact. You have to show and prove. These were all terms that were used amongst the 5% nation. Nation of 5%ers and gods and earths, I think, is their, is their formal title. And he's like, Yo, you got to be right and exact. Got to show and prove. That was very, very important. So the debates were not about winning. The debates were trying to get to the truth. So one dude who was winning the argument and all of a sudden was losing, he would go, oh, wow, you just, and I, so I noticed that in what they called ciphers growing up. And it was till today. And I've gone to college in two states and three, no, I'm sorry, in three states I've gone to school. Um, and I've gone to school in about three countries in three states, New York, Florida, this place, Oklahoma City, all over. And then I've gone to school in, in, in Germany and in, in Italy, everywhere else. And, and all the people that I've met, and I'm the kind of person, you get to know me after one conversation. We're going to get into a political discussion. I enjoy it. For me, it's sport. It's sport. I enjoy hearing how people feel about this, that, this, race, gender, sexuality, politics. I enjoy the conversation. I enjoy it because I, I, I'm, I'm a student of it, whether it's Marcus Aurelius, whether it's Confucius, whether it's Niccolo Machiavelli, whether it's, whether it's um, even the art of war. 
I've learned to take politics not as personally as many people. I understand its machinations that go back thousands of years. Whether it's pseudo, whether it's through the spiritual realm, we find our politics. Whether it's we have our politics inform our religion, or we have our religions inform our, our politics. Regardless, I don't take it as personal, so I'm able to have conversations and quote unquote keep my cool, for the most part. And um, not all, but for the most part. So for me, I've been the most, even with all of the traveling I've done, and I've been all over. I've, I've sat in orphanages in the Takeo province in Cambodia, drinking cheap Cambodian beer at two in the morning with Russians and Peruvians and people from the Netherlands and everywhere in Russia. And we're all sitting there having different robust conversations. Even with all the, in Italy, playing basketball with, um, with, with, with guys that I just met in that country. And, and we're all sitting around and we're talking politics and basketball. LeBron, Carmelo, Kobe, rest in peace. Even with all of the places, living in Hawaii and having those, with all of that, the most robust and intellectually robust conversations that I've ever had have been either involved in the nations of gods and earth or witnessing it either being in those ciphers actively conversing or on the sidelines witnessing these men actively converse to get to their truths and it's amazing to me so so i try to engage people the same way i saw those men engage themselves and give each other a handshake at the end of the conversation and smile and relax and whatever i try to engage politics like that and go well wait where it gets contentious is where someone has decided that they want to be right and not right and exact that they don't want to show and prove they just want to show that's where then with me I go well okay you you've just decided that you don't want the truth or you can't handle the truth or through your dissonance, you've you have some nagging questions about your truth, but you'd rather not answer them because you're so invested in your lie. Yeah. So I'm asking you guys out there, are you prisoners of your dogmas and dictums? Are you prisoners of it? I have conversations all the time because I've studied. Um, I've studied at length and in depth different economic structures that we've had throughout the ages cooperatives feudalism slavery which is an economic which is economics um capitalism socialism things of that nature i've studied them at length it's not just a not through a forum not through um um uh you know a class or a survey class you read your adam smiths you you read your david ricardo's you read your Karl Marxes, you know. You read your uh, um, exerchins through the the uh, the, um, the the papal exerchins that speak about economics and things like that. Is usury or is interest rates a sin? Things like that. I, I would read um, different religions and what they felt about economics and banking and things like that. And if you, truthfully speaking, you can read uh, what the the Pope or or, or the Vatican what Islam and what the Torah says about what about economics and you can learn a lot about economics and and ancient economics just by reading religious text how people did business and it's amazing how little we know 
about other structures and strictures that exist. I'll give you a perfect example. One of my favorite economists, I'm not gonna mention his name. <clears throat> he graduated from the Holy Ivy League Trinity of schools in the United States. He's, he graduated from, from Harvard, Stanford, and Yale. He's got his undergrad from one of those Ivy League schools. He has his master's degree from another one of those Ivy League schools. And he has PhD from another one of those Ivy League schools in economics. And for him to attain his economics degree from what's considered to be three of probably the best schools on earth. If you don't, you know, there's the Sorbonne, there's the Austrian School of Economics, there's Cambridge and Oxford too, okay. But, you know, Harvard, Stanford, Yale is probably three out of the three. It's, it's, it's in the top 10 of best schools on the planet. Considered on the planet earth. Okay, okay. He graduated and he says this in many of his lectures. I graduated from these schools and I didn't need, and I graduated with my degree of economics. He has a bachelor's in economics, a master's degree in economics, and a PhD in economics from these Ivy League institutions. And not one time did he need to take as a requirement economics about another social system or another economic system besides America's form of capitalism. Think about that for a moment. He didn't even have to take a survey class that said, oh, a survey and other forms of economies. He didn't have to even take one class that had to deal with socialism or cooperative economics, which are major economic systems that are employed on this planet. They're not on the margins. They're not in little villages somewhere in the jungle by a people who have a language that no one knows and customs that no one knows. No, major countries that we do trade with, that we consider superpowers, that we consider allies are employing these other forms of economy and the other forms of economics. And this man graduated from three of the best schools on planet Earth, and he didn't have to take one class about any of them. As a matter of fact, he didn't have to take any class about any other form of quote, quote end quote capitalism than our form. So think about that for a moment. This man's PhD means you're an expert on the subject. You have a doctorate on economics. It's not a doctorate in capitalism. It's not, oh, I have a bachelor's degree in American capitalism. I have a master's degree in American capitalism. And I have a PhD in American capitalism. No, 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 no. You have a PhD in economics. You have a bachelor's in economics. You have a master's degree in economics. If you have a PhD in economics and I ask you a question about the sociopolitical ramifications of what Friedrich Engels and Karl Marx was speaking about in, in, in political economy, and you don't have an answer, what are we talking about? What are we talking about? If I want to speak to you about the cooperatives in Bologna, Italy, and I want to speak about how they were able to withstand the economic um, um, uh, turn that we took in the pivot that we took globally and economically in 2008, but certain regions like the Basque region in Spain due to the Mondragon model of cooperative economics didn't take the same turn, and you don't have an answer for me, and you have a PhD from Harvard, Yale, or Stanford, what are we talking about? Are you a prisoner? That man, if he couldn't tell, he had to learn all of the other structures from independent study because he found hope. Remember, we'll be going back. This is where we circle. 
He went back the way I went back. He had questions that the, that the professors couldn't answer. And these professors were well-read. To think, to be, to be a student in this school, think about you know, how much of a high achiever you had to be and, and, and what your background is. That's one thing. Imagine being a tenured professor making like a quarter of a million dollars a year. You're a millionaire just to be a professor at these schools. You're a millionaire. And the teachers didn't have answers to these nagging questions. Because it's easy to sit in that school and be born an American. You raise your hand, you put your right hand over your heart, and you sing the national anthem, and this is the greatest country on earth, and you trumpet, and the rockets, red glare, bombs bursting in air, and then all of a sudden your teachers are trumpeting about you have the greatest economic system in the world, it's created A, B, C, D, and E, and you have a question that maybe not counters that, but you have some questions. There's something nagging. Remember when I was talking about I didn't question your beliefs until I questioned my beliefs. So while he's nodding his head, he's going, well, wait a minute. What about blah, 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 blah. And the teacher would be like, get an, you know, would start, you know, shifting and moving their bow tie around and readjusting the buttons on their tweed vests. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. And then this this professor in their infinite spiritual and intellectual wisdom said, okay, you ain't got the answers. I'm going to go find the answers. It's like when you ask your parents something and you're a kid and they keep giving you these flubbly bubbly answers and you just go not, and you just nod your head. And in the back of your mind, you go, yeah, daddy doesn't know. Mommy doesn't know. And you're like, okay, they don't know everything. And it's at that moment that he didn't just put those questions to the side and just continue following the company line and just become another trumpeteer for the system, which is what most Ivy Leagues want you to be. They recruit you to be a soldier for the system. So you do things to be soldiers for the system. So if you try to be a PhD candidate and you're trying to speak about some sort of counter argument to what you've been taught all these years of your bachelor's and your undergrad and your master's degree, you're not going to get to be a PhD candidate. They're going to be like, yeah, we don't really like the premise of your dissertation. You're going to be like, why not? Uh. So what I'm saying is, are you a prisoner to your dictums? Because that's what was happening to me when I was at school. Whether I was at, uh, studying political economy at St. John's or international relations in Italy, certain places when I was posing these questions, not only did they not have a rebuke, they didn't know what I was talking about. And I'm like, you're supposed to be an expert in the field. And when I was speaking to these so-called experts, I was just, you're just an expert in the dogma that they gave you. You're a prisoner. You're trapped in a room. You weren't a true researcher. You researched within the parameters that they gave you. And if you went outside of those parameters, you wouldn't get the grade. That's what started happening to me. When I would do great reports and great research papers and I would get a C plus or a B minus or a B plus on it. And I would notice the person with the with the paper that was inferior to mine. And I'm not just saying that out of my own personal bias. This is what other people would say. But the difference between their paper and my paper was that that other student who got the A minus who received the A minus. And I didn't say earn. I said received. The other student who received the A minus did so because they parroted and echoed the dogmas and the isms of their professor. And the professor in their confirmation bias that got them their grades, 
they had to do the same thing. They had to echo and parrot oftentimes what their professor believed, even if it wasn't always exact, even if it wasn't accurate. Me, I'm like, I'm a grown up. I've already made money. I'm going back to school just because I want to. So I would take my paper and I would go to the chairman of my departments and go, listen, this is an A plus paper because here is what passed as an A minus. The, the difference is, first of all, my paper is better written, better, res well, better researched. And on top of that, I should have gotten a better grade. However, I didn't receive or get a better grade because I did not follow the dictums and the strictures and the dogmas of my professor. I followed everything else except their ideology, but everything else is correct. Everything else. And the chairman's oftentimes those B minuses would get turned into A's. Many times I had three or four papers that had to be reviewed and I received a higher grade because I took it over the head of my professor. What is that telling you? How many of you out there are stuck in a, in a belief system that was given to you by people that have their own agendas and their agenda is not being right and exact, is not being accurate? Like when I have conversations about socioeconomics and socialism and things like that, people parrot what they've been told, you know, things, but they don't know. They don't know how these other structures work. They don't have an idea. They don't have a clue, literally. They haven't been given a clue. They don't know about the McCarthy hearings. They don't know how certain ideologies were stamped out in America due, the, due to the House on Un-American Activities Committees, HUAC to be exact. I'm not going to go into too much detail about these things. I mention a lot of things because I say, if you're really that interested and you're really my vibe and you're really my tribe, I'm going to say something and it's going to send you on a mission. But understand in the 1950s, if you were a socialist in America, because socialism was growing in America, Joseph McCarthy, Senator Joseph McCarthy, guess what he would do? He's, he started something called the House on Un-American Activities Committee, called it the Red Menace. You know, he, he wanted to stop the Red Menace, the communism, the spread of communism all throughout the world. In the United States, there were a lot of people, authors, teachers, everything. So he would start off his hearings. He would drag you in to a congressional hearing. You could be a teacher. You could be an actor, an author. You can be anybody. And he would say, have you or ever been, have you now or ever been a member of the Communist Party? If you said anything where you said, yeah, I think we should get some health care and we should get some this, that, and the third, and anything that they thought may consider to be socialist in its leanings, guess what would happen? If you were an actor, you would lose your SAG card. If you were a director, you would, you would get kicked out of Hollywood. Actor, get kicked out of Hollywood. Author, you wouldn't get another book deal. Teacher, you would lose your tenure and you wouldn't be able to get a real job anywhere. And this is what happened. This is one of the things that stomped out certain ideas <laughs> out of your consciousness. And so that's why you don't get any surveys on different economics <laughs> that are working in other parts of the world. So they give you examples like United, uh, the, the, the um, uh, Soviet Socialist Republic over there in the Soviet Union, or they give you, uh, you know, the, the Nazi Party, like the Nazi Socialist Party, German Workers Party, and things like that. And they give you those as examples of socialism and communism and things like that. And I'm not speaking to you as some sort of socialist communist sympathizer. I'm speaking as someone who's read the academic works and to compare 
what Joseph Stalin did in the name of communism and socialism, to compare what Vladimir Lenin did in the name of socialism and communism, and to say that that's actual socialism and communism is to, is to say that what the Ku Klux Klan did is what the Bible wanted you to do to black people in America. Because the Ku Klux Klan is, calls itself a what? A Christian organization. They say Jesus was white and white is right and everything else is wrong. Period. Am I wrong? So if you're going to, so, and, and that's not hyperbole. That's not hyperbole. When you do the math on how the, the deviations from actual, and the reason why I'm using this as an example is because there were certain conversations that I've had over the last 14, 15 years, and it has to deal with health care, has to deal with how we do this and how we do that, and, you know, what are we going to do if, you know, what about the, the bums on the street that everybody gets $1,000 a month and universal basic income and this, that, and the third, but I'm, and I tell people I'm, I'm, I'm first concerned with how I'm being treated as a student who owes this much money in student loan debt and this, that, and the third, you know, what about a single mother who's on the street, which is one of the largest populations of homeless people is, is growing now 60% of women on the street have a baby with them under 18, a, a child under 18, what are we talking about? You know, veterans, like, what are we talking about? You know what I mean? Like, before we get to the extremes of people who don't want to do anything, let's speak about the people who are actual contributors and how they're being squeezed. You know what I mean? So I, I try to explain to them the dictums of socialism, but remember what we had a conversation about? If you've been listening, if you're a new listener, like I said, go back to episode one. Remember what the Aristotelians said, the followers and the adherents to Aristotle. Remember what the Jesuits said, if you give me the child, from ages one through seven, I will show you the man. So imagine not being taught anything about economics for the first 18 years of your life. And then all of a sudden, I'm speaking to these 25, 35, 45-year-old men about surveys and cooperative economics in certain regions and how this works and that doesn't work. Imagine how difficult it's going to be to try to undo <laughs> 35, 40 years of indoctrination in one version of events. Exactly. Yeah, that's how hard it is. So in my world, in a world where I live in, in my head, where I'm constantly thinking about what I'm thinking about while I'm thinking about it. That's what I call it. I, that's what my philosophy. I think about what I'm thinking about while I'm thinking about it. Like, I'll react the way. I'm like, why did you react that way, June? Well, what about you? I don't need a lot of psychotherapy because I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a state of hyper-awareness. Some people may call it overthinking. I don't overthink. I hyper, I'm hyper-aware of, of who I am. And I resolve my nature with myself. So I'm okay with being wrong. And I'm also okay with being right. I don't have to be silent when I'm right. And I don't have to keep fighting when I'm wrong. I can stand corrected and say, mm. And I always challenge what I believe. And I, it's, it's in a constant state of challenge it's 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 a scientific experiment that i always go back to how do i refine it okay whoa now there's a hole in it because there's new in information that's been introduced boom back to the drawing board that's what i do but the world doesn't the world around me doesn't do that very often we like our answers 
in a box. And I'm not speaking about all of us, but when we get these masters of oratory on our radios and on our television screens and they write these things and they write with such prose and they write in a way that brings you that that speaks to your emotion and not to your intellect and all of a sudden now you find yourself sucked into an ideology that makes you feel better but it may not be better not everything that feels good is good i love pizza I love fried chicken. <laughs> Makes me feel good. A drumstick is one of the best foods ever created. A fried drumstick is awesome. I wish I could have five drumsticks a day. And I would be happy. Every time I chew a drumstick, I'd be happy. Guess what? I would not be very healthy if I ate five drum fried drumsticks a day. Am I wrong? I enjoy a good scotch. A good one 18 and up I like my scotch legal 18 years and up yeah it wouldn't be a good idea for me to have several glasses of scotch per day get what I'm saying not all these things that make us quote-unquote feel good are good our truth are right and exact so a lot of these things that are these feel-good truths or these truths that we've just um um, subscribed to because we're benefiting from it doesn't necessarily make it the best truth or the highest truth it could be a biased truth <laughs> certain truths are better even if we don't benefit did you hear what I just said there's certain truths that are better for the betterment of all they may not improve our lot but because they work out for a greater good, it's actually a better truth. There are certain truths that I subscribe to as a businessman that actually hurt my bottom line as a businessman. But me as a businessman, my only, I don't use profit as my only rubric or metric for success. And if you follow Milton Friedman and you follow the School of Friedman Economics, he says a corporation, an American business or a corporation need not worry about anything else except their profit motive. I disagree. I believe that there's a compact and a social contract oftentimes. Business for me is more than dollars and cents. It's more than me turning one dollar into two. There's more to it than that. Get it? So there are certain rules that I would have and certain things going on in my business that may one plus one may not equal two. One plus maybe I may not make a dollar off of a dollar. I may make forty cents off the dollar because of other things that I implement. That's just me. Because I look at it differently. I'm using another kind of truth. I'm using a truth that it was introduced to me in my mind. It may not be introduced to someone else, but my mind said, Yeah, for me to feel for me to sleep at night. I wouldn't be able to do certain things that I see other businesses do. I got to do it this way. I wouldn't, I have to do it this way. And when I owned certain businesses in the past, I did implement those things. And did it adversely affect my bottom line for a while? Yeah. But then you learn to work around it the way the cooperatives do. The way the social democrats do in Germany. You think Germany has a Germany has a huge bloated welfare state. Guess who didn't feel the, 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 the um... 
the big brunt of the economic collapse of 2007, 8, and 9 that hit everybody globally. Germany, with their big bloated socialist economy. Well, why not? Well, we can get into it. Unions, this, nationalized banks. The bank is a utility, so they didn't let the private sector go run amok with the banking system to do all types of, you know, proprietary foolery and do all their voodoo economics. Yeah, we can get into all of that. The reason why I'm having this conversation is because I'm having this conversation with multiple friends and colleagues at the exact same time. So some people are like, June, what are we, why are we only talking about economics? Kind of, sort of. There's going to be a part two to Are We Prisoners? And it's going to talk about prisoners of our dogmas when it comes to relationship dynamics. How women look at relationships with men in America, men and women, and our different movements of matriarchy and patriarchy. We'll get into that. This will be probably part one, dot, 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 economics. But it, it can, you can use it universally. A lot of the things that you believe that make you feel great. Ooh, this one rocks. This girl rocks. This guy rocks. This, that, and the and you look at it and you go, is it, is it a bias to truth? Is it, do I subscribe to it because it benefits me? And is that the highest truth because it benefits me directly or it benefits one part of me? If, am I looking at it from multiple angles? Am I, am I employing multiple perspectives? Am I playing, I don't want to use the word devil's advocate, but am I looking at it from an opposing, from, from, from another perspective? Not say opposing, just another point of view. How many point of views can I argue right now? That's what you have to say when you start to believe in these things. This is how we avoid being prisoners of our dogmas. It's, it's very difficult out there to have conversations with people i notice what do we have going on now in 2021 <clears throat> if i may for a moment pluck something right out of the headlines <sighs> a senator or a someone who's a i don't remember what party he belongs to he said something on the local news it's a politician <laughs> this dude had his pistol on his desk <laughs> And he's saying that um, telling people to vaccinate um, is tantamount to some of the tactics that were used in Germany during the Holocaust. When people had to use a certain badge, the Jews had to wear a badge and that badge pretty much said that they could or could not use certain services and things like that in Germany. Now, Needless to say, <clears throat> bringing up the Holocaust in certain instances can either endear you to a particular group or <laughs> you can draw the ire of a particular group. One has to be very, very careful when they use the Holocaust in a sentence. <laughs> so this particular politician with the gun on the table speaking about freedom, he was made to look like a buffoon. To a certain degree. Okay. But here's the thing. When he mentioned the word Holocaust, <clears throat> here's what people have to understand. The genocides that existed in the world, the democides that have existed in the world, and the democide and genocide are a little bit different, but democide, was, they're, they're saying directly it's government killing people wantonly and genocides can be other groups could be government killing you it could be an army could be military could be a certain sect of the population but democide in and of itself is the government killing people 
but one can argue that genocide and democide you know they, they have interlapping they're interwoven and you would be correct if you were to say so but what i'm trying to say is one thing that all of these things have in common genocides democides and holocausts and mandates they were all perfectly legal at the time they were all brought to you by government programs so it's like i wasn't taking things that he was saying personally and things like that i was looking at it from its macro perspective someone who has studied government mandates and things like that all of these holocausts <clears throat> genocides <clears throat> slaveries and segregations and people being booted off doing this doing that shackling them mandating them to do this that and a third all of this was brought to people by government programs so that's the point he was trying to make but because everyone heard holocaust everyone heard this everyone heard that people were speaking about to jab or not to jab and everything has been so politicized or should i say divisive or should i say um partisanalized because what we call politics isn't really politics it's just partisan theater partisanal theater it's not true politics then there's no intellect involved truly so what ends up happening is just like i said talking points that that have been parroted from one side you know have to get are 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 being are combating talking points from another side and they all just kind of box each other into this little dust and there's no real winner there's no judge there's no scorecard saying this that and the third it's this like i said no one's right and exact and no one has shown and proved it's just who can win the argument so we don't get any accuracy we just get argument winners who made the better argument? That's a dangerous place to be, ladies and gentlemen, no matter if you're an American, if you're an Armenian, if you're an African, you're a Caribbean person, Haitian, South American, Dominican, I don't care, you're German, French, Italian, English. This is a dangerous place to be with he who has the better argument wins. And not who's, ethic, not who's ethical or who has efficacy, accuracy, who has the better argument wins. It's dangerous. His argument, what he was trying to say, he wasn't able to articulate it. Do I get what he was trying to say? I don't want to put words in his mouth and make him, I don't want to say more articulate than he is. But I just want to say that if he wanted to say that everything that's been harmful that has occurred, most of the genocides and the democides and the killings that have occurred on planet Earth in the 20th century, they were brought to us by government mandate. But a whole lot of other things were brought to us by government mandate as well if someone wanted to counter. A lot, of, a lot of good things. But if we will look at all the millions of people that have died in the 20th century through world wars, through proxy wars, through government genocide and, and sponsored democides where governments, one government decide to look away while another government did some atrocious behavior. It was brought to us by government programs so if he was trying to make that point he didn't make it great but it was just one of those examples of no one wanted to engage him everyone just just summarily dismissed him and called him ridiculous and he should step down 
and he doubled down, but he just didn't have the oratory ability to double down correctly. And so I listened to him and I just looked at the television and I just shook my head and I turned it back to the Olympics going, oh, well, buddy, it sucks to be you at the moment. But I just wanted to kind of end on that note that um, let's take a moment. Let's all take a moment and ask ourselves, are we prisoners of our dogmas and our beliefs? Are we prisoners to them? Do they have us trapped in this little room that we can't escape? Did we put bars and a lock on it? Did we only allow certain visitors in that don't agree with our dogmas at certain times? Do we even actually have real conversations with people who just are, are diametrically opposed to the things that we believe? Can you actually have a friend or a family member that completely disagrees with you on some of the things that you feel wholeheartedly. Can you? If they can, could you? And could you stand corrected if something that they said put a hole in your dogma, a hole in your argument? Can you resist the urge to go, yeah, but... And just hold, stay at that moment, stay in that moment and say, wow, wow, okay, I, I have to think about that. I need a moment. I don't think we can continue until we, until I resolve that. I, what else you got? You know, wait a minute. No yeah buts. Can we resist the yeah but? And then at that point, can we start to unlock, you know, the, the mental bars and the intellectual bars you know, to the dogmas and the ideologies that we hold so true that may not be accurate. Just saying. Till we meet again. Signing out.